Open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. This will be different than the first service this morning. I hope that you can remember what we covered this morning about the yay and amen of our religion. As Eric just mentioned, it extends to the whole universe. He upholds all things by the word of his power. The sun is going to rise tomorrow because Jesus is the yay and amen. You're going to be safe through sickness, health, or death because Jesus is the yay and the amen. Underneath are the everlasting arms. The arms are around us. In his arms there are 10,000 charms as we sing in one of our songs. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to teach you in a, a managed number of minutes one of the most desirable and key character traits for success with God and men. For those of you that know your Bibles well, I didn't give you a verse because I wanted to keep you held off at arm's length for just a minute. But if you know 1 Kings 3, you know where I'm headed. I want to teach you and I want to promote for you personally and for this church one of the most desirable and key character traits for success with God and men. On an individual basis, I want it. I want you to have it. And I want our whole church to have it. And it is a teachable spirit a teachable spirit is what we now look at first kings chapter 3 solomon is a young man david said so before he died and he exhorted his princes to help him out and the bible tells us beginning in verse 5 this bible story in gibeon the lord appeared to solomon in a dream by night and god said ask what i shall give thee and solomon said Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Amen. I could continue reading, but it would be a distraction. The continued reading is God making Solomon some things that he didn't ask for, like rich and defeating all of his enemies. I just want you to see God loved that prayer request. We want that kind of prayer request for each of us, and we want that kind of prayer request for our whole church. A teachable spirit is one of the most desirable and key character traits for success with God and men. A very destructive and offensive default of men is the quiet, sometimes, or the verbal know-it-all that will not learn. That man is doomed. 
if he will not learn. Do you know how many verses there are in Psalms about David saying, teach me, show me, teach me, show me, lead me, teach me? One of the chapters I had you read last evening, if you did, Psalm 25, where David said that several times in Psalm 25. I have about 50 references here, but they're not, it's only my introduction. So look at uh, Psalm 25. Psalm 25, then we'll jump over to Psalm 119. You should know this about David. There's something about, there's things about David that we want to learn because the Lord says so many good things about David and he was his favorite. Psalm 25, look at verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. We want that kind of an attitude. Amen. If we go to Psalm 119, what verse do you want to pick in Psalm 119? Not very many will stand me up. Psalm 119, 176 statements about the Word of God. Pithy, short, concise statements about the value of Scripture. 176 of them by the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, eight verses each in order, Aleph, Beth, and so forth. But let's look at verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The emphasis is on David asking God to teach him. That's a teachable spirit. I want you to tell me how to do it. I want you to tell me I'm wrong. I want you to tell me the right way. I'll flush the wrong way. I'll do it the right way. Amen. It is a very important character trait. It is pride and rebellion and stubbornness that puts the hands up and does not want to be told how to live. And God is our creator. Right. He knows everything. Amen. We should want him to teach us every part of our lives. Right. If you do it God's way, it's win, win, win to do it his way. Teach me. Then, there, then there's lead me. You know, look at Psalm 139, since it's not too far away. Psalm 139 and verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right. Here's David, who's a king. He could have got haughty like so many kings in the Bible did, like a Sennacherib, like a Nebuchadnezzar, or wicked kings of Judah and Israel, like Ahab and Manasseh and others. But David, though king, though blessed, though popular, though prosperous, though God's favorite, still kept right on asking all the way through the book of Psalms, teach me, show me, incline my heart, make me to go in the way of thy commandments. He would say things like that. Do you pray that way? Make me go in the way of your commandments. Look at 143. Just another one with teach and lead in it. 143.10, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. David has two psalms out of the 150 that are primarily about this fact. It's Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. You'll never forget it now, will you? Because it's so obvious, 19 and 119. But both of those two chapters are about this very thing. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. What, what else do you need? If there's great reward, and God inspired those words, and David wrote great reward, David had a lot of rewards in his life. 
but great reward. We should want to be teachable. We should want to learn. This is a key trait for success with God and men. Let me just go ahead and cut to the chase, then get off it. And I hope I won't say it again. Every guy, every man looking for a wife, you want to find a woman with a teachable spirit so that you can sit down with her and have devotions and open the Word of God and teach her how to be the perfect wife. Now, I know that just made great a little bit on certain girls or women, but I don't think in this room. I don't think here. That is the... Listen, otherwise you get this. And when you say, I do, I will fasten the manacles on your hands and your ankles because you're ruined. If you get this, when you sit down to talk to her and lead her in the word of God. And then you fall into Solomon, Proverbs, and all the things he says about the odious and the contentious woman who's always bringing up this and wanting to suggest that and questioning this and questioning that, and you're in trouble. Instead of having a teachable spirit, she wants to teach. She wants to tell you what you're overlooking, what you have forgotten. Just just a little bit of wisdom. Just a little tiny bit of wisdom. Okay, the second part of that wisdom is fathers looking for a husband for their daughter. And girls, you should be looking for a guy that's teachable, but... Your dads are the ones I'm addressing right now at this moment. Dads, when you're looking for a guy for your daughter, make sure he has a teachable spirit. Test him. Why don't you ask him to do something that he may not like to do? Because that's the only time teaching counts is when they don't want to do something. That's true with all about submission. you got to ask somebody to do something that they would prefer not to do and see if they'll do it anyway. And so you want to find a guy that's got a teachable spirit, which means that over the years to come, you will have some leverage with that man in order to help him and your little girl who are going to be bumbling through life for the first little while. You're going to be able to help them because they have a teachable spirit. I'm just telling it, it's it's huge. If you were to come to me and say, what are the most important things about a spouse? I'd say the fear of the Lord. Number two, teachable. Number three, gracious. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. You want them teachable because a man that is teachable is always going to be getting better. A man that's not teachable is going to be stagnant, or we know that we really don't stagnate for very long, do we? We backslide. We decline. And so we want this teachable spirit. Enough about that. I've said it. I just wanted to get you worked up about it. And I know that marriage and spouses and all that stuff gets a certain category in here worked up. But let's be teachable. Look at Solomon. The Lord loved his prayer request. There was no money. There was nothing about enemies. There was nothing about long life. There was nothing about, I want a babe. It was, I want wisdom. I want to know how to lead this people. I'm just a little guy. Listen, he was Solomon. He was David's favorite and Bathsheba's favorite. And he had been around the court of the kingdom of Israel since birth. But he said, I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. When was the last time you told the Lord that? Just, now you know I do. Because I I do it in front of you. Because you all know the truth. I'm just a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Isaiah, are you kidding me? Isaiah was overwhelming. I had 1,300 problem texts 
And the book only has 1,282 verses. But the Lord's merciful. The Lord will bless you if you'll tell him, I don't know what to do. Right. I, do you remember the kings of Israel that would, would tell the Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord would say, stand still and I'll do it for you. Right. And so there would be thunder. There would be hail. They would just kill each other, the opposing force, because they turned it over to the Lord. Can I reach each of you in this second sermon? Way over there? Can I reach you to way over here? Molly, you're my extreme today on the left. A teachable spirit. That means when dad suggests that you do something a certain way, you do it dad's way. Let's see, your dad's about 30 years older than you, which means he's had 30 years to think about being you. I remember a child in my home a long, long time ago in one of the first versions of Tetris. Um, this, this particular lad has shorter fingers and thicker fingers than most of my children, or all of them. And he wanted to beat his older brothers at Tetris. But he was doing this on a keyboard. I know you guys with your cell phones now, you can play three games of Tetris with two hands and three phones. But think back to the old days where Tetris was on a computer keyboard. This. And his brothers could torch him. He was younger than them by quite a bit. And so dad imposed his will on the lad and said, we're going to learn the home row, kid. We're going to learn the home row. And so he started learning the home row, and it was so hard, ring finger down. It was so slow, all of his scores collapsed. Until. It's like in Ecclesiastes 10, sharpen the axe. If you want to cut the tree down, sharpen the axe. And it was learning the home row. The lad humiliated his older brothers. And, and I love the story, and some of you have heard it before, because I don't tell stories very often. And so they stick out. But uh, that's a teachable spirit. He was willing to try it a different way that was uncomfortable and that cost him his scores for a short period of time. Then he was on a trajectory to blow right by his brothers. And I loved every one of the victories that he had over them because he had been willing to submit to doing it a different way. Teachable spirit. Teachable spirit. If we go into the book of Proverbs, now listen, we've got David's son now. David's son. David said, my, Solomon said, my father taught me. And so when we read Solomon, this is in the first few verses of chapter 4, when we read Solomon, we're getting David. So we have David and Solomon with the two, two of the most teachable spirits in the whole Bible. David's the one that said, teach me, show me, lead me, teach me, show me, lead me, over and over. Solomon's the one that had this prayer in 1 Kings 3. But when you go to the book of Proverbs and you look at its 915 verses, and if you were to have to pick... What did Solomon emphasize as the most important trait for success in life? It is a teachable spirit. Right. Solomon's going to do the same thing. Let's look at just a few. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1 and verse 5. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. That's a teachable spirit. You know, some people just want to talk so they can't listen. Do you know why God gave you two ears and one mouth? Because that's supposed to be the proportion of how you use them. 
you listen twice as much as you talk, and you'll learn. And so right off the bat, in the fifth verse, a wise man will hear. He will listen. What does it take to hear? It takes listening. It takes submission. It takes humility. And will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. 1-5. Let's jump over to 2-2. Two, two. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. You've got you've to direct your ear to wisdom. You've got to humble it down and turn it to let somebody else fill it with something good. You've got to be teachable. And we can... Look at 3.1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Hey, Rehoboam, do you remember? I taught you this. I commanded you this. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. You've got to remember what I told you to do. You've got to remember what I, how I told you to live. That is a teachable spirit. Lord, help us. Help these youth especially in this church. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. It doesn't matter where I turn. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. For a young man who's starting to feel his oats, and I'm talking about any young man under 30, because you know how we look at age in this church. We know that 30 is the mark of a man, is the age of a man. So I'm talking about anybody under 30 to sit still because from about the age of 13 on, you have these raging thoughts that you're pretty smart. But if you can just quiet down and listen to someone who's older than you, and that's what you got to do. My son, attend. Sit still and listen. Don't be thinking about playing basketball this afternoon. Attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear. That means bow down to me because I'm going to put some things in that ear that are going to land on your audio nerves that are going to be wisdom you have never thought about before. Where, where else do you want to take a stab in this book? 23.9? Do you want to try 23.9? See if it fits. 23.9. Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Notice how a fool is identified. He rejects instruction. He can't be taught. So a fool is someone who can't be taught. A wise man will incline his ear and listen and learn, and he will increase in learning. Do you know how you arrived in this world? Do you know what you knew when you arrived? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. The Bible says that we are born like a wild ass's colt. But a wild ass's colt is a whole lot better than you. In 45 minutes, they're on their feet. You took a year. It's pitiful. We have nothing. You soiled your own clothes. We had to tie up that part of your body, tape it down, pin it down, because you knew nothing. Why, when we turn 13, do we start thinking we know something? Lord, help us. Let's be teachable. I want to tell the Lord till my dying day. Teach me, show me. I don't know. I know that you have infinite wisdom. Can you share a little bit of it with me? He wants to. He wants to share his infinite wisdom. He's given us this glorious book. How teachable are you? Oh, enough with poor Solomon. I've got a list here that would choke that wild ass's colt. 
No wonder David was God's favorite and Solomon was earth's wisest. They had two very teachable spirits. Think about it. Why was David so great in the sight of God? Very teachable. Even when he sinned, in comes Nathan. In comes Nathan the prophet, tells him that terrible little story of the rich man taking the poor man's single little ewe lamb for, for a guest that had arrived. And David, David's ready to blow up. David's so angry. David said, that man's going to die. I'm going to kill him. Oh, David, be careful. I'm going to kill him, and we're going to give the uh, poor man four, four lambs in his place. And as my brother likes to say, Nathan stuck his bony finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man. Now, were there kings of Israel that would have had chopped his head off? Yep. They would have chopped Nathan's head off. They would have excused themselves. David said immediately, I have sinned against the Lord. Right. And if you want the long version of I have sinned against the Lord, it's Psalm 51. He was fully repentant. What a great... That's teachable. That's teachable even in the heat of... Let's think of another one. He has been taking care of Nabal's sheep whenever they stray from the shepherds while he's living in the woods with his 400 men. He knows that it's shearing time for Nabal's sheep. That means Nabal's going to be rolling in cash. So he sends a servant to ask Nabal for a little bit of food to help them. And Nabal made fun of him as a runaway servant. David says, guys, get your swords on. He was, he was angry. He was going to come and kill everyone that could piss against a wall. That's what the Bible says. He was going to kill every male in that whole family and all their domestics. He was going to wipe them out. And a woman meets him, Abigail. And he says, and she says to him, do you really want a blot like that in your life? Let God fling out your enemies, but you're bound up in the bundle of life with your God. Don't you put a blot like that on your life. Go read them. He backed off and he said, thank God for sending you this day. I would have killed everyone that pisses against the wall. Thank you for your wise counsel. I won't do it. David, to a woman. I want you to get the feel for it. Teachable spirit. Our church just passed through our 40-year anniversary six weeks ago. The trajectory of this church, and we measure our trajectory by God's Word, not by Joel Osteen's numbers. The trajectory of this church is because of our teachability. We beg God to teach us. We study for Him to teach us. And when He teaches us something new, we flush the old and embrace the new. And we love doing it. Because we know every time we do it, we do it, we're proving that we're teachable. We're proving that we're like Solomon. And we're getting better and better. Because each time you can get rid of something that's wrong and do it a better way or do something entirely new, you're getting better. That's why I say it's for success. Because the only way to improve is to change. And change requires admitting I was wrong and this is the right way.
Did we do that in the book of Isaiah? Did the Lord show us some verses that we have interpreted wrong in the past? Was it hard for us to make that change? No, it's not. We want to do it. We love doing it. Let's never forget that lesson. The benefits that we've previously derived in this church by changing as God shows us things and us begging God, let's continue to beg Him to show us more. Growing in favor with God and men is our goal. And there's only one way to do it. Crave learning to change. Crave it. Thinking is overrated. Thinking is overrated. Assuming that your thoughts improve you, assuming that your thoughts improve you, endorses evolution. Something out of nothing. I want revelation. I don't want rationalization. And I don't want realization. I want revelation. It's very important for us. The information age and the growth of the internet spreads more lies than it does truth. Just listen and watch it. The Bible is absolutely perfect revelation for advancing in knowledge. But we need teachers to know it from principles to advance truth, as the Apostle Paul taught in 2 Timothy 3 to Timothy and in the book of Hebrews. Men in their great ignorance should humbly beg and cry like Solomon for infinite wisdom to teach us. Let's all have that attitude. Grace, embrace it with me. You're next to Molly. That's why you got my attention. Caitlin, embrace it. Teach me, O Lord. Show me your ways. Lead me in paths of righteousness. He will. He will. He wants us coming into his office and sitting down and saying, Father, I don't know how to go out or to come in. I'm just a little boy, but I want to do it right for your glory. I want to do it right for your people. Show me, teach me. He smiles. He says, try this chapter. Or he he teaches us by his spirit. Or he can teach us even during the night. In the night seasons, he can instruct our reins. Beg him. He'll bring a parent along just right for you. He already has brought your parents. And you say, well, what if I start praying that way now? I've already stuck with the parents I've got. He'll give them wisdom and light to help you in the question you're asking. He's infinite. His chess game is bigger than you've ever seen. Lord, help us. The benefits. Why is it worth having a teachable spirit? Because our great God has perfect understanding of all things, and he wants to share it with his adopted children. He has it all. He has all knowledge from business to marriage to politics to relationships to maximizing your life like the book of Proverbs teaches so plainly. He has 10,000 blessings hidden behind doors that you can only obtain using his keys. And one of his first biggest keys is a teachable spirit. He can fling doors open for you in knowledge and understanding. He can give you answers. He can protect you from enemies. He can give you wisdom to overcome any obstacle in your life. Beg him for it. Beg him for it. The wisdom of the law of Moses made Israel the envy of the world. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Israel under Moses was the envy of the world because of their laws. And that's the wisdom of God. His laws. I mean, his laws like, thou shalt not see the kid in its mother's milk. That's in the Bible three times. Do you understand that? I violated that as a lad. I violated that. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. That's a, that's a rule of the Bible 
about gentleness and tenderness to animals that you find. I was going to be a mighty hunter before the Lord, even if it was the neighbor's cats. I speak as a fool, trying to make a point to you. The law of God is fantastic if you will learn it. It teaches kindness and gentleness and a conscience toward animals. Wild animals, farm animals. You know you're going to cook them eventually anyway, but the Lord wanted them done a certain way at a certain time. Look at Deuteronomy 4, beginning at verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say... What an oppressed nation to have so many thou shalt not. Thank you. Okay. Which shall say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? He is your father. You can go into his office and ask him for anything. And his laws are all perfect. It's just our responsibility to learn them so that we can see how to apply them. They'll change your life. If I start down any paths right now, you know, I'll, I'll ruin what I want to try to accomplish. And I've only got a few more minutes left. And I've just left my introduction. The benefits, the benefits of having a teachable spirit is the wisdom of the Word of God. The wisdom of Proverbs brings emails into my office every day describing the benefits and the conviction that have changed lives around the world from learning the book of Proverbs. Humanity by God's will arrives absolutely and totally ignorant, including sanitation. We don't even know about sanitation when we arrive in this world. You don't even know how to put a spoon in your mouth. You don't know how to ride a bike. You have to be taught every single thing. So you don't know anything when you arrive. Believe, embrace that then how are you supposed to aspire to the high levels of knowledge and the high levels of wisdom that the Bible refers to? It's only by this revelation and by God blessing you to have it. But you've got to be teachable. You've, when you read the Bible, it's got to be different than just flipping off, checking off, I read this chapter today. No. You pray with David in Psalm 119, verse 18. This is so simple, we all know it. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You never get into the Word of God without thinking about God teaching you something specific that very day, that very hour, that very minute with those very words under your eyes right at that point in time. It's your nose in the Bible. It's just looking at a verse like verse 7. I don't care what verse it is. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 7. For what nation? That means there is no other nation. Is there so great as Israel was, though it was the smallest of all nations, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord, our God, that's Jehovah, because it's in all capitals, L-O-R-D, our God. And you just, you embrace the whole verse, and by the time you're done with the verse, embracing its individual words, you're empowered with spiritual nutrition for wisdom and learning and knowledge and understanding. Right. We've got to read the Bible that way. Don't ever read it to just check off a chapter. The benefits are huge. Depravity includes ignorance. It includes self-deceit. The heart is deceitful above all things. Our depravity. We're, we're, we arrive in this world knowing nothing, but then we have a problem. We have pride. So we say this to instruction. 
we're self-deceived thinking that we know something when we don't know anything. The resentment of correction. Progress in any part of life requires change. Think with me. Progress in any part of life requires change. Change requires criticism of the way you've been doing it and reformation to do it a new way. That's hard to do. Have someone tell you that you're wrong and then do it their way. Success needs growth. Growth needs change. Change needs correction and teaching. Change means you are doing it the wrong way. Someone must tell you the right way. That means you've got to listen to them tell you that is the wrong way. This is the right way. You know, if I use Tetris, you're all safe. And you can smile and listen contentedly and comfortably with me instead of me unloading on you about some part in your life, some part of your life. But see, that lad listened to me, though it cost him his scores and was very uncomfortable for a couple of days. Oh, Lord, help us to embrace this. A teachable spirit is necessary to grow and prosper in any life role or opportunity. The goal or object of teaching in the Bible is truth and wisdom in all their related terms. This is the, these are the benefits of having a teachable spirit. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. You know that Proverbs is more about wisdom than any other book in the Bible. What a library the Lord's given us. What a library. A divine library sent down from heaven to, want to, to walk up to that door with the golden knobs and to open it up and go in and find those overstuffed leather chairs sitting beside the fireplace and to look around the 66 volumes on the shelves and go pick one off and sit down in that chair and open it up. It doesn't matter where you open it. Hardly. And you just read and you ask, Lord, open mine eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And you leave, you leave enlivened, encouraged, because you have the vitality of God's words in you. Man shall not live by bread alone. And you know you take care of feeding yourself every day several times. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's Luke 4, 4 in a King James Bible, because the second half is left off in other Bibles in Luke 4, 4. Okay, the benefits are huge. Here in Proverbs chapter 3, I could read, I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Watch this. This is why you want to be teachable. This is what God wants to give you. Proverbs 3.13. Happy. Well, I don't think I need to go any further. Happy. Do you want to be happy? Happy. You say, you really do like every word of God, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy. I don't need to read any further right now. I could prance back and forth on this platform and talk about happy for a while. You know how the world, the world tries to be happy with all the wrong, right. all the wrong ways. Amen. They think sin's going to make them happy, and we know better than that, don't we? Right. The guilt and shame and trouble and consequences that come with sin, they think that some chemical adjustment to them is going to make them happy? Are you kidding? They wake up with a hangover. That starts with H, but it's not happy. It's a hangover. They, they wreck their lives. Okay, I'll get past the first word. I'm going to read for a few verses. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. 
She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. But how do you get it? Bow down your ear and listen to someone teach it to you. That's how you get it. But look at the benefits. The point that I'm working on right now, what are the benefits of having a teachable spirit? It's that right there. And that's all I'm going to... I could comment on every verse and every clause of those verses, but you just heard the words. They're wonderful words of life. Are there other Bible stories about it? Yes. What's the identity of a teachable spirit? What does it look like? 1 Kings 3 gave us what it looked like. I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. So give me a wise and understanding heart that I will know how to lead this people. Simple. It's not complicated. That's a picture of it. How about another picture? Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. For those of you that read this last evening, I asked you to look for the spirit of the people before the preaching and the spirit of the people after the preaching. And we get both here. Oh, this is, a, this is the greatest preaching service in the Bible as far as the details recorded for us to see what the attitude of preacher and people are like when there's a real preaching service. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. And they told Ezra to bring the book of God and preach to us. And we start down through the chapter. It's fabulous. And Ezra the scribe in verse 4 stood on a pulpit of wood so he could be above the people so that they could see that he was opening the book. Look at verse 5. It tells us why there's a pulpit. You stand on pulpits. You know, we think that a pulpit is something to hold my Bible. And we can go ahead and call this a pulpit. But in the Bible, the pulpit was something Ezra stood on in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. You know, I can't preach this to you right now. I've preached this to you before. This is a fabulous preaching service. These are people that were teachable. These are people that went to Ezra and said, we don't want to wait until you think it's time to preach. We want you to preach to us right now. And they all gathered together with one mind. And they said, amen. And amen is in verse 6 with lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads. They considered it a tremendous privilege to hear the word of God preached. And what is Bible preaching? It's verse 8. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's Bible preaching. That's expository preaching right there, defined in the word of God. And they did that, and they caused them to understand the reading. Then they, they, they wanted to cry. They were crying because they were convicted, because they had had some of their sins identified. And Nehemiah and Ezra stopped them and said, Today is holy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Right. Stop your crying right now and celebrate. Throw a party and make great mirth, because you have understood the word of God. He knew that they were not going to lose their conviction. He knew that they should celebrate and thank God for having understood that reading. And then if you were to go read the rest of this chapter, what's the attitude of these people after that preaching service? They wanted more of it. They wanted more of it. And when they got more of it, they learned that there was a feast that they had not been keeping for hundreds of years. It was the Feast of Booths, where they were supposed to go out and take certain tree branches and build a little hut in the backyard and live in that thing for a week. And it was to remind them of what it was like being down in Egypt. Now that is not something that you would normally get excited about. To, to find out that every year you needed to go live in the backyard in a hut. But they did. Right. They got excited about it. 
That's what a teachable spirit looks like. Reverence for the Word of God. Reverence for the preaching of the Word of God. Obedience. Conviction. Celebration. They celebrated because they understood the preaching. And it's all in Nehemiah chapter 8. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? The teachable spirit. He's bouncing along in his chariot reading Isaiah 53. The Lord tells Philip, go and join yourself to that chariot. Philip comes up alongside it and says, do you understand what you're reading? Now listen, the Ethiopian eunuch was a man of great authority under Candace the Ethiopian, the queen of the Ethiopians. He had great authority. He didn't need to listen to some redneck like Philip. You say, why are you calling him something like he was? Go find out where they came from. They were, they were disrespected by the rest of the Jewish nation because of their origin and the dialect that they spoke up there around the Sea of Galilee. And so here's this man under great authority, and he says to Philip, how can I except some man should guide me? Do you know what kind of humility that is? Right now I'm wanting you to think about every occurrence you know in the Bible of humility. I don't know how to figure this out. Sir, do you know anything about this Prophet that I bought in a bookstore in Jerusalem, I'm going back to Ethiopia. I don't understand it. And Philip gets up there in the chariot with him, and, and the eunuch takes it further. The eunuch says, you know, Isaiah 53, this chapter that I've... It wasn't in chapters back then, but you all know that. This chapter that I'm reading right now is the prophet talking about himself or some other man. He, transparent. Humble, transparent, I don't know. You know, the words, I don't know, will not kill you. I don't know. They're good words to say. And somebody that knows will be able to fill in the blanks for you. And Philip was able to do that for the eunuch. Cornelius, look at Acts 10. Acts 10. Oh, Cornelius is good. The eunuch was good. A man of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, said, how can I? How can I understand this? I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I need someone to explain it to me. Because I can't even tell if the prophet's talking about himself or some other man. And it says Philip opened his mouth at that place and began to preach Jesus. It, it, what if the eunuch had said, I'm going to take this book that I bought in Jerusalem back to Ethiopia, and when I have some time, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to be able to figure it out myself with a concordance. That's what William Miller did, and that's where the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses came from. Cornelius, did he have some authority? A hundred Roman soldiers. Peter, did he have any authority? In Cornelius' view, none. But God sent Peter. And so what did Cornelius do when he met Peter? When, the, Itali- when the, the captain of the Italian band met the Jewish preacher, what did he do? First thing, fell down to worship him because he was sent from God. Peter, Peter jerked him back up and said, come on, I'm just a man like you are. But notice the reverence for someone sent from God to tell him what to do because the, the chapter of Acts 10 starts out with, send a Joppa for Simon Peter, he will tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And he was about to get a gospel load of things that he could do to please God. Here's the verse I want, though, because I want you to see it. I want you to visualize it from the Word of God. I want you to embrace it. Cornelius says in verse 33, 
As soon as God told me what I needed to do, immediately. Oh, that's a teachable spirit. Immediately do whatever you should be doing. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. I like that. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Go ahead and let it go. Un unleash yourself on us. Preach the whole counsel of God. I've got this whole assembly here, my family, my domestics. They are all here to whatever God has put on your conscience to preach to me. Let me know the truth. That's a teachable spirit. Amen. There's a whole chapter. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. A whole chapter is dedicated to Cornelius. Peter has to answer for Cornelius in chapter 11. Peter has to answer for Cornelius in chapter 15. It's a tremendous story of a teachable spirit. And the Bereans you read about last night, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. They didn't search the scriptures to try to prove Paul wrong. They searched the scriptures to prove Paul right. And so it says in verse 12, many therefore believed. Right. And I want you to remember, we've, in the past, as many of us were coming out of different isms many decade, decades ago, we emphasized the second part of Acts chapter 17. They searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But I want you to notice what comes first. They received the word with all readiness of mind. When we come into our worship services, we want to come with ready minds to hear whatever God has for us. Are there enemies? Are there obstacles and hindrances to having a teachable spirit? Our depravity. Our depravity is terrible about truth. We chose a lie in the Garden of Eden, and it's with us ever since. We prefer lies. Lies will always get a bigger audience than truth. It was that way with Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 45, Ye believe not, because I tell you the truth. That's just the way it is with depraved people. Right. Lord, forgive us our depravity. And then it's self-righteousness is maybe the worst sin of all. And that is, how can you teach or correct or rebuke a person that already thinks they're righteous? You can't do it. Israel was so stiff-necked and stubborn. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So you've got to learn how to reject your thoughts. You've got to learn to reject your thoughts and hate your thoughts. I hate my thoughts, but thy law do I love. I hate vain thoughts. There's so many miscellaneous things. Fear of the unknown. Well, what if it tells me to live in a different way that's going to be less, it's going to make me less happy than the way I've been living. Oh, come on. This is the God of heaven. He knows more about happy. Did you see, did you see pleasantness over there in, he, in uh, Proverbs chapter 3? Pleasantness and happy. That's because there's only one way to live. It's the way God wants us to live. Laziness stops fools because listening, learning, and applying takes effort and energy. Pride. They don't want to be corrected or criticized for what they do. They fear losing peers and friends, having to explain it to them if they change. And on and on it goes. Contentment with things as they are. I do not want a contented church. And you should not want a contented pastor. Now contentment is a good thing when it is put in its proper place. I'm talking about being content with our present level of understanding, our present level of holiness, our present level of zeal. No, 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 we do not want to be content. David wasn't content. David said, I don't want to give sleep to my eyes. Forget it until I do something better for God. And that is the way we should be. That's a teachable spirit.
You know, most Christians don't care. Most Christians don't, they think they already know enough and let's just go feel good at church. <clears throat> I remember the first Baptist church of Malden, I've told you about this before, it was a number of years ago, they put out on their big sign, please come back. We promise not to throw the book at you. You know, but if you've got a teachable spirit, if we had a service where the book wasn't thrown at you in some way, shape, or form, you should be disappointed and irritated. Right. Because we want the book thrown at us, because it's the right. book that teaches us about Jesus Christ and how to live. Yeah. How can we improve it? Prayer is more important than Bible reading, for God can teach you or send you teachers in unique ways. He can teach you while you sleep, Job 33, some of the Psalms, Eli, who said it in Job 33, prayer. Look at, look at Solomon. I'm by a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Give me a wise, understanding heart. That worked. It doesn't say he went and read the Bible. It says he prayed. God will send you teachers. I wonder what the eunuch was praying as he bounced along. He had been in Jerusalem for to worship. Do you know what that means? He believed that the Jehovah God of the Jews was the God to worship. Did the Lord take care of him? All of a sudden, there's a man at his side. It can be a parent. It can be Bible reading. It can be a friend. It can Listen, the Lord's even capable of using Facebook. It's hard for me to say that. Or other social media. Someone may send you a verse. He may cause you to remember a sermon. He can do it all kinds of ways, but the first thing we want to do is like Solomon did, and that's to ask for it. Look at Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2 is an extended, extended version of Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's Psalm 119 and verse 18. Do you tell the Lord when you crack the Bible, this is your book. It's perfect. I love every word. Show me something. I'm going to delight in every word of it. Tell him that. I love every word of it. Feed me. Show me. Here's a teachable spirit. Proverbs 2. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, that's praying for it and begging God, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. And it goes on from there. That's how you do it. It's intense, extreme effort. If you want to be taught and advance in your life, and enjoy the happiness and the pleasantness that God has designed for His children through the obtaining of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. That's how you do it. It's through intense effort. And it starts with prayer. Prayer. Look at Psalm 119, back just a few pages, 119 and verse 27. And David's many prayers in Psalm 119. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 27. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. This is David. He's already into his life, and he's writing, Make me. Show me. I want to learn it. I want to advance. I want my faith to grow, my knowledge to increase. 
Second, start by asking your parents, if you're in, especially if you're under 30. Ask your parents. God chose your parents. He rejected 4 billion other parents to make your two parents available for you. Uh-huh. 4 billion. I thank God that in 1957, he rejected 700 million other parents to give me Rowland Crosby as my father. Any other choice would have been inferior, would have cost me dearly. And he's sitting right back there, and he's 90 years old in a few days. And I thank God for him. Amen. Your parents. God arranged your parents. Obeying and honoring parents is the easiest and best way to life success, according to Ephesians chapter 6, the first three verses. Converted parents, like for nearly all the children in this church, are vastly superior to even ordinary parents. But ordinary parents know a whole lot more than their children do. Listen to them. Love church assemblies. Prepare, pray, and participate passionately. David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to, and to, and to inquire in His temple. To come into it with my questions and get them asked, answered. My dilemmas. And David had more than we do. Love church assemblies. The Bible says, despise not prophesyings in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20. You know, look what's going on today. The time will come, Paul told Timothy, the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth and be turned into fables. Storytelling and fables and entertainment, the E and F, entertainment and fables, is what they want now. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want to sit through a second service like this with just Bible being presented. But this is what it teaches us. This is what we're supposed to do. Right. This is the antidote for the perilous times we live in. Amen. The job description Paul gave Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 is preach the word. Amen. Don't tell, preach the word. Bible reading, when you do learn it, when you do read it, is to learn new things from God. Do you beg God to give you wisdom as you're reading it and to annihilate your own thoughts? Do you read every word as if, as if it truly were the words of the living God? As 1 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us, the divine library is a great gift. Enter it reverently. Enter it eagerly. As newborn babes, as newborn babes, you know, and, and you don't feed them for a few hours, they'll scream and let you know it, that they want to be fed. As newborn babes, desire, we should have the same kind of craving, insatiable desire for the Word of God. Desire the milk of the Word that she may grow thereby. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Hold nothing sacred, my brethren. Nothing sacred, no persons, no things, no doctrines above God's wisdom. Look what God did to us in Isaiah chapter 14 about Lucifer. And he did other things to us through the book of Isaiah. And we thank Him for that. Right. Nothing sacred. No person. Jesus said, if you're not willing to lose all your earthly relationships, you're not good enough for me. Over and over He said it. Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 14 are what come to mind. Nothing sacred. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Look at John 12. I'm almost done. Look at John 12 and verse 42 and what John wrote about the, the Jews that believed that were among the Pharisees. Oh, it's so discouraging. 
and the chief rulers, verse 42 of John chapter 12, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We don't care about the praise of men. We cannot care about the praise of men. It will cause us to compromise. There's only one praise, one source of praise, one being of praise that you should care about, and that's the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if your children turn against you. It doesn't matter if your parents turn against you. Stand for the truth and look for the praise of God. He'll take care of you. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Psalm 27 and verse 10. Hold nothing sacred. Be willing to flesh it all. You've heard me say many times that if the Lord wanted to show us that there are six phases of salvation instead of the five that I have taught you, I would embrace the day to flush and burn every remnant of the five phases to promote the six. Because if God says there's six, then his six are infinitely better than my five. Infinitely better. Our five. Reject any proud self-deception thinking that you're wise. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you want to be wise? Then become a fool. You say, Solomon sounded like a fool. The eunuch sort of sounded like a fool. He said, I don't understand this chapter. Become a fool, and the Lord will give you wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, let no man deceive himself. That's a standalone sentence at the beginning of verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. They're vain and worthless thoughts. Get rid of them. Be willing to ask for help like the eunuch did. No sincere question will be rejected. Foolish and unlearned questions will always be rejected. Show some study. Show some humility. Show some sincerity. Be humble to take correction. There were 12 followers of Apollos in Acts chapter 19 that ran into the Apostle Paul. Paul could tell that they didn't have the Holy Ghost. Paul said to them, To what were you baptized? They said to John's baptism. Did you receive the Holy Ghost? We haven't even heard if there be a Holy Ghost. Now that's a teachable attitude. We haven't even heard that there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And Paul said, well, John baptized, pointing to one that was going to come after him. And those that were baptized in Jesus' name got the gift of the Holy Ghost. All 12 of them were rebaptized. It's a rebaptism in Acts chapter 19. That's, that's a teachable spirit. Right. That's rejecting. You know, that's pretty hard to say. My first baptism, eh. It was just John. This one that Paul's talking about is Jesus. And it was huge. That kind of a transaction happens. And those men were willing. Are you willing? Are you willing? Do you love correction, reproof, rebuke, or warnings? Or do you resent them? Does the Bible say open rebuke is better than secret love? Be willing to do things differently than previous teaching or years of habits or tradition. Progress requires change. And doing things the same old way means that there's no progress in your life. God seeks worshipers that will worship in spirit and truth, which must be taught. So God's going to lead us on, upward, on, upward, on, upward, more spirit, more truth. 
because we ask him to do so, and that's what the Father wants. We certainly weren't born with it, and so we're going to get it by following these ways of improving it. Recognize the benefit and the reward and embrace it. You know, when you repent, like, the, like Israel did, God sends a man like Samuel. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago from 1 Samuel chapter 7? They got rid of Ashtaroth. They got rid of Balaam. They repented. Samuel knew what was happening in the nation. He says, all of you come to Mizpeh. They all gathered at Mizpeh. And he sat down and he judged them there. And they poured out that water, which we can't fully explain yet, but they poured out that water as a drink offering to God. The Philistines gathered together. Those Philistines had bothered them for decades. The Philistines gathered together for war. God thundered from heaven. It was a tremendous revival. Do you know what it began with? Throwing away their false gods changing their lifestyles, changing their conversation, and the Lord bless them. One final verse is Proverbs 28, 9. It's a fearful verse. It's a fearful verse. I've given you lots of wonderful positive verses. I hope that you'll remember Cornelius. We're here, gathered before God to hear whatsoever God's given you, the eunuch. How can I accept some man should guide me? Solomon, the, the Bereans, Proverbs 28 and verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. There are so many people that think their prayers are heard. Their prayers are not heard because they turn their ear away from hearing the law. They don't like preaching. They resent the preacher. They're not heard. He that turneth away his ear. So you can incline your ear to hear, You can turn your ear away and not hear. If you turn your ear away to not hear, even your prayer will be an abomination because God's going to turn away from you. Let's not do any of that. From my far right to my far left, let's all have a teachable spirit. Molly, you have a great dad. Listen to him. I commend you for wanting to know more of God's Word, way over there to my right, and everyone in between. Let's have this teachable spirit. Let's have the humility. Let's do the praying. Let's tell the Lord we're nothing as a church, nothing as a pastor. Will He give us a wise and understanding heart that we can please Him more perfectly? All the benefits are there behind doors, and the key is a teachable spirit.